right. <clears throat> okay. In terms of our handouts, um, trying to make sure that I'm organized, did I have one on the four laws? Do you guys have one on the four laws of marriage? You might not. If not, we'll get it to you, okay? <clears throat> I'll have it printed. Somebody tell me, what do you have? You have the core of marriage? Yes. Okay, we're going to touch on that. That's good. Go ahead and put that one in front of you. And then you, obviously we, we were talking about the love boat. <clears throat> and so you could put that one on the bottom of the stack for now. And um, next break I will have, um, I'll get those printed on the four laws. So let's turn to Genesis. So I believe we've, we've sufficiently laid a foundation. You know, it's Wednesday now. We've laid a foundation for marriage. Let's build some walls. All right? Let's, let's get to building on this thing. So Genesis chapter 2. And this is where as we... Um, depending on how the Lord leads, we'll get my wife and I, uh, we may kind of go back and forth here in a little bit and uh, talk about, well, we'll just, I don't want to, we'll, we'll wait on that. We'll get her going. So, amen. <laughs> All right, I don't want to give you the punchline, so. All right, at least not yet. All right. So in Genesis chapter 2, God has, in chapter 1, you know, we've got the animal kingdom, we've got everything ready. God makes Adam, puts him in the garden, and now God causes all of the animal kingdom to come before him because Adam's got dominion. God's put Adam in charge, and he said he caused all the animals. So you think you got the giraffe coming up, and he looks at giraffe. So he gives Adam the, the wonderful ability uh, to and the privilege of naming everything in the animal kingdom, right? And so they're coming before him, uh, male and female, male and female giraffe, male and female lion, right? And so there's a lot of animals out there. So you can imagine this takes a while. And when this entire process is done, Adam, I, I picture him having this little bit of a bewildered, sad realization that every animal that God had created had a mated pair. And there was none found suitable for him. And God noticed Adam's reaction and agreed. He agreed with Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Amen. And so we'll pick it up, Genesis chapter 2. In verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to dress it and keep it. Well, actually, I've, I've kind of given you some of that, so we'll fast forward. Out of the ground, you know, he formed all the beasts of the field. So we read that. Adam gave names, verse 20. And let's go ahead and read all of verse 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. 
And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he the woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his uh, father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And so you have the wonderful creation of the institution of marriage. Amen. Praise God. So when God said that I will make a helpmeet, a helpmate for him, as I said uh, previously, that word in Hebrew means an answering unto the heart cry of. An answering unto the heart cry of. Now keep in mind, as all of this is happening, this is before the fall. We have to go back and understand that uh, because we filter everything in our experience through our experience with sin, our experience with the curse and dealing with the devil and, and, and death and all of the bad. But this is before any of that. And so you, when you factor that in, you see the beauty. And what we're seeing here is God's ideal before humanity became tainted Right? With the dark side of sin and death and the curse. So this is interesting to me. Apart from sin. Absent from the curse. With no interaction with the devil. God has Adam in a perfect state. And yet he sees something that Adam needs. And provides that. Amen. And um, so, what do I want to say about that? You know, as a, as a person, as a human, you say, well, all I need is Jesus. Well, to get saved, yeah, that's right. All I need is Jesus to get saved. But if all Adam needed to be full, if he had no needs that a wife couldn't meet, why would God have made Eve pre-sin, pre-fall, pre-all of this? Amen? And so now I, I, don't, I don't buy into some of this stuff that uh, God pulled out of Adam and only in Eve now is he complete. Right? I don't, I don't believe in that. That would mean a single person is walking around incomplete. We have a verse in the New Testament that we are complete in him. In Christ. So yet you know, I don't buy into that over romantic, you know, philosophical mumbo jumbo stuff. Amen? However, again, God created him. He recognized that there is a need Adam has that God himself didn't intend to directly meet, but that a helpmate would meet that need. Amen. And, uh, and so it's, it's right. when he, he, said, he said about man before the fall, it's not good that he be alone. So how much more, you know, in the condition the world's in today? And statistics bear this out. It's, it's not as true for the ladies as it, is, as it is true for the men. It is profoundly true for the men that um, men, they live longer. 
Their lifespan is longer if they're married compared to their single counterpart. Their blood pressure is less. They have less instances of heart attack, cancer, and other diseases. Studies have even found that married men recover faster from surgery than single men do. Uh, they're, they, they have uh, their, their overall reported well-being, their mental health, is, is statistically better than their single counterpart. Amen? They'll make more money. A married man will make more money than a single man will. And uh, so statistically speaking, again, the Bible's proven itself out. Generally speaking, that it's better for a man to be married than to be alone. Now, now I know what Paul said. Paul said, I would that you all be like me, single, because now Paul's radical. You just understand, Paul is radical. That's why I like him. And that's, that's one of the ways why he was so fruitful. Is he said, now I would that you all be like me, because he that is married concerns the, the things of this world that he may please his wife. But he that is single concerns himself with the things of God that he may please the Lord. So you can just be wholehearted in your devotion and service to God 100%. Listen, when you get married, you can't spend all your time in prayer. You're missing God. You can't spend all your time in the Word. You can't do that. I owe her. I owe her time. And she owes me. And that's what Paul is saying. It's right to do, you have to do it. Amen? So there are those few instances, it'll be, it'll be a rare exception, where the, there's grace there that there's a gift on that lady, there's a gift on that man to be single because of the call and because of their devotion and because in their makeup, they can handle that and be chaste. You know what I mean by that? They, can, they, can, they, they have enough harnessing they can, they can harness their sexual appetites and not sin. And Paul said, if you can't do that, most of us can. He said, it's better to marry than to burn. What's that mean? Burn with passion. Burn with sexual desire. So it's better to marry. Amen? So anyway, just wanted to point out to you that there's, uh, if you feel like, well, all I need is God. No, you know, um, there are needs that Amber meets in my life that God doesn't meet. She meets them. There are needs in her life that God doesn't meet. I meet them. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It was, it was done so by divine design. Amen? So here in Genesis, I just want to point this out, and this is the material you don't yet have, but we'll get it to you. And that we see here in this passage, especially in verse number 24 and 25, four laws of marriage. Now, if you'll understand the laws that govern marriage, now we've already built the foundation of love, right? And that Jesus is our foundation. But having said that, there are four laws that govern marriage. And you have, if you'll both commit to practicing and living your life in line with these four laws, you will succeed in married life. You will go the distance. Amen? So let's look for these. Number one, we see, therefore shall a man leave, notice that, leave his father and mother. The first law of marriage is priority. Amen? 
There is a change in priority in human dynamic when you get married. Born into the earth, a child, until they enter into the marriage covenant, the dominant, most important relationship that they have on the earth is with their mom and dad. They're commanded to honor their their mother and father. Children are commanded to obey their parents in the Lord. And that is their aim. That is their focus. That's where their loyalty has been. That's where their supply has been. That's where their devotion, their time, their energy, their priority is mom and dad and home. But the first law of marriage is leave. I'm not necessarily, and and yes, hopefully geographically, you know, just at least from this room to that one, you know, praise God. Uh, Amen. Amber and I, we we would love for God to keep our kids close by in married life. But this, this leaving means a leaving of that priority that you've known all your life. And when I got married, my mom, my dad, they're still very important to me. And there's, I still have responsibilities that direction. But when I get married, she's my. I have God, number one, and then, and then her right here. Priority. Your, if, you, if your spouse is not, other than your walk with God, your relationship with Jesus, not the number one priority, you're violating the first law of marriage. And it's going to show up. You're going to, you're going to, you violate a law. It's like you violate that, like electricity. Remember, I got blown up on my dryer. I violated that law. It didn't matter. I was sweet. It didn't matter. I had a right motive. I got, I got fried. You know, uh, praise God. So this is, you have to set that. And as time goes on, I have to guard her as my priority. Now, now this this pets some people's fur backwards, especially mamas. When kids come along, you're, if, they, if those kids become God one, kids two, husband three, you're violating, you're violating, I said you're violating the law of marriage. Amen. I, I got married because I, I wanted to be first in another human's life other than Jesus. And when I'm not that to her, there is a godly jealousy. Y'all know what idolatry is? What is idolatry? Yeah, you're right. It's not just the worship of a statue or whatever. Anything, anything, anyone that takes God's place in your heart, life, and priority is an idol. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he talks about, the Bible talks about, for our God is a jealous God. So there is a righteous, godly jealousy. And when God breaks out into that jealousy, amen, he will attack the thing that has taken his place. He will set himself up in opposition to the thing that has got his spot. Sports, money, people, hobbies, whatever, career. You don't want God fighting your career. Right? So, career's fine. Keep it in its place. Well, as a husband, you know, like unto God, if, I'm not, if I don't have my place, then there, it's going to invoke a righteous jealousy. 
it will. You'll get that reaction. Amen? And wives have that right too. If she doesn't have that spot, my ministry can't come before her in my priority. Well, I have a call. Yeah, I have a call. I do have a call. And it has its place, a high place in my life. Amen. (laughs) Right? So do you get that? Priority. You have to keep that in place. You see, that's the first law of marriage. Amen. The reprioritizing of your relationships. You know, that just means your mama can't have the voice in your life she once had. She should still have a voice. But it shouldn't be higher than your husband's voice. Right? Or your wife's voice. Amen. Yeah, okay, I think you get it. All right, so let's keep uh, reading and we'll find the next one. So therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Amen. Praise God. Let me uh, advance up in my notes. So the second law of marriage is the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit. These all start with a P, I believe. So we have priority and now we have pursuit. So we leave our father and mother and we cleave. Now, I love this word. This word in the Hebrew is an amazing word. Don't forget, honey, you want to chime in on any of this? Go for it. But the word cleave in the Hebrew means to uh, climb a mountain. It means to climb a mountain. It, It means to pursue. It means to go after something. It means to lay hold of. But then it also has this wonderful meaning. Uh, it means adhesive. Yeah, yeah, if you needed one, if you study it and you need one other word to replace instead of cleave, you would use glue or bond or adhesive. And so I leave, I have a new priority, and now the mountain I'm climbing, the energy I'm expending, Amen, is in the pursuit of that relationship, right? In in maintaining a strong bond to cleave and adhere to that one person. Amen. Now, in my church, I took our guys a couple of times, a couple of groups, cycles through a sexual purity and pornography, you know, enlightenment, anyway, video series for guys. Very powerful. And this is where I learned this. I learned this nugget that science has really proved out that you have your marriage ceremony. You make your vows and your promises. But both biblically, and, and I don't know if the laws have changed in our goofy world today, but um, even after the preacher signed your marriage certificate, you made your vows, uh, you could get an annulment, really walk away until you consummate your marriage sexually. And, uh, you know, in a Jewish wedding, you had the, all of the ceremony that went with it, and you had the promises and the vows, But then right there, before you cut the wedding cake, you went into what was called the hoopah. Yeah, and you consummated that marriage. That'd be kind of weird, right? But I mean, (laughs) consummate your marriage while everyone else is out here having punch or whatever. And the husband came out with evidence and, and now you're married. But scientists have found out that don't get weird. It's just 
It's true, right? It's just the way it is. And so that in the sexual union, the consummation of the, of the new marriage, that hormones are released, chemicals are released during the acts of, sex, of sexual interaction. Amen. And really what's happened, uh, even chemically and hormonally, that uh, God has set it up physiologically that when we come together physically for that first time, I am bonded to her. And she's bonded to me. And this is what is meant in this word cleave. And it's such a powerful thing, that sexual act, that I'm in, my heart is imprinted on her. She is imprinted on me. And it's meant to be a, a, an invisible cord that binds us together. And that when she's away from me, when I'm away from her, that we, there's this strength of the bond that protects us from temptation to reach outside our marriage. And so if you've ever heard of a soul tie, if you've ever made mistakes, many I did. You made anyway, you made mistakes and you you know, that's why it's so dangerous. It's because you're imprinting. Right? And thank God for the blood of Jesus and the restoration. That that can be repaired and thank God for that. But we're reaching for God's ideal. So it's not just the promises. The second law of marriage is pursuit. Amen. So it's a, it's, a, it's a deep word. It's a wonderful word. There's the bonding. Amen. But the continual pursuit. And sadly, we, we make this mistake. We do all the pursuing to get to the wedding. And then we put rings on and we stop pursuing. Really, this teaches us the law of marriage. The pursuit really begins when you get the ring on. This shouldn't be a sign I conquered. I'm on to my next, I'm on to my next goal in life. The second law of marriage is I'm going after. I'm going after a great marriage. What can I do to... Does that make sense? Amen. So that's the second law of marriage. Praise God. Let's look at the third one. The third one uh, is the law of possession. The law of possession. And it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, they shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one. They shall be one flesh. And so she belongs to me. Amen. In this life, she belongs to me. And, uh, and I belong to her. Amen. And so in marriage, uh, there has to be this merging together, this, this oneness. There is no more I and her. You know, it's Chris and Amber. It's Amber and Chris. It's Chris and Amber. And whether you're talking about money, what we're pursuing in life, uh, God has taken, she had a call, I have a call. But now we have a call. And that's one of the great miracles of marriage is He takes two individual destinies and purposes and divine callings and giftings and, and I, take, I take mine and God merges that together. Amen. And now there's, there's one. So there's possession. So amen. So there has to be this giving up of ownership to the other. I can't have something that she can't touch. So we don't do mine and hers. Hers and mine. Right? Um, 
you know, maybe in littler things, but I don't have my money and her money. It's our money. It's, it's, it's our money. She doesn't have her bills and my bills. And I, enter, I, I met Christian couples and, you know, and I've actually had a wife come to me one time and ask for assistance because her husband wouldn't help her with her bills. It's just wildness. You're violating the third laws of marriage. Everything that she had, everything that I have, we all come in together and we possess it all together. Amen. All that, all that other stuff. Uh, there is no my, there's only ours. Uh, if you intend, if you married life is different than single life. If you like single life, stay single. Seriously, stay single. If you like not having to uh, be accountable to someone, if you like being able to pick up and go and not having to add, not having to consider somebody else's thoughts and feelings and needs and opinions, and, and you like uh, making all your decisions independent of anyone else's input, then stay single. If you like having a bunch of... Single friends and, you know, and, and, you know, all that stuff, it's just different. Married life is different. I've, I've just had couples, they, 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 they had their, well, we've always had guys night. Well, maybe you can have it, maybe not. How does she feel about it? Well, she's got three kids at home and we're really busy and, and, and uh, she wants me there that night. Guess what, dude? If you, don't, if you don't give it up, you're, viol you're violating love. You're being selfish. You're starting to sow seeds that are going to erode again in your marriage. Amber and I, I don't have single friends. I don't want to really fellowship recreationally with single mentality. Even if there's nothing sinful about it. It's not going to add to me. We have couple friends couple friends. You know divorce runs in packs. Typically divorces will happen one, two, three, about right at a time. Because you have, you know, you've got somebody in somebody's ear. Well, you know what? My husband does that same thing. You know, and, and before long. So, so you want to run with like-minded people. I want to run with people. I, you know, we, we try to run with like the Hadabals. And if I know, if I did, I never had to, but if I went to Dr. Hadabal go, you know what, I should just so irritated with her. I, I, I'm thinking about leaving. He would go, what are you thinking? Come here. And march me in front of Dr. Jacobs or somebody. That's the kind of friend you want to have. Right? Not the one that's going to go, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about doing the same thing. Let's file together. We'll go back to fishing or whatever. No. There are the, <laughs> amen. You got to be wise about these things. Married life is different than single life. If you like single life, stay single. But don't try to mingle those two. Amen. It's just different. Amen. I don't, I don't try to live my life independent. Now, I'm not a sheep to her. She's not a sheep to me. Right? But I, you know, I run things by her. 
Amen. You know, when we, when we uh, God moved us to Paducah, all, I have big family in Oklahoma. What family she has, she has family there too. Um, we had a lot to lean on. But out there, it's just her and I. Amen. And that was really actually good for our marriage. Because if we're going to make it, it's her and I. And it caused us to lean on, on, on one another. But, you know, we just, we just learned to consider each other in things. And, and so anyway, we got out there and Rex came along. Rex was born. I had started taking jujitsu. Not jujitsu, jeet kundo. One of these martial art deals. <laughs> and the, the lessons were twice a week, but they were in the evening about 7 o'clock. Now, we already had faith. Faith is four. And now we've got this infinite home. There's no grandma. There's no grandpa. There's no help. And so in my, I'm working all day, and then in the evening, I'm going to be gone in the prime time of the evening to do this thing I like. Well, she just asked me, hey, this isn't working. I need you at home. Well, you just, it's not a big deal. You just lay it down. You just lay it down. It's not, it's not worth destroying your family and your marriage over golf. Or whatever it is. You know, you just lay it down. Jimmy Evans, he said this, marriage is brutal on selfish people. I like that. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. So if you want to live independent, stay single. Amen. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit later, Lord willing, but in, within this law of possession... This law of possession reaches to your sex life. Amen. And so, uh, why do we get married? Well, we get married for a lot of reasons. We'll go over this in a greater detail in the next segment. But uh, one of the dominant reasons I got married was to have blessed, God-sanctioned sex. Let's just be honest. There's no blessing on sexual activity outside of marriage. Amen. Now, in college, it wasn't a righteous thing, but I know what having a roommate is. I know what having a roommate is. I, had a, I said, you know what? Rent is expensive. I'm a, I'm a struggling college student. I'm working and going to school. And my mom's not helping me out a lot. And that's fine. And so I'm eating a lot of potato chips and ramen noodles. And so when I have a roommate, what? Rent goes in half. You share electric bills. We share duties and responsibilities around. That's fine. That's not marriage. The real thing that distinguishes marriage from all other relationships is the intimacy enjoyed in sex and producing family. That, that's, that's just right. Amen. And, uh, and so in this union, because of that, because of God's laws and His parameters, and He's not a killjoy, but He's trying to create a lane and a framework for our, our God-given nature. We are sexual creatures by creation. He's created guardrails and a lane in which that can be enjoyed the way He designed it, but it's in the confines of marriage. 
and that marriage is an exclusive union between one man and one woman. And so what I have done is I've taken one of the greatest step in her two steps of faith I will ever take, and I've said, you and only you, no other one. Amen. And so to get in that union, to withhold that, to neglect that, is an egregious, gross violation of the marriage covenant. You don't get to be married and be non-sexual. You don't get to do that. Well, I'm just not that interested. Well, you better get that way. Do you have scripture for this, Pastor? Oh, yes, I do. I'll just quote you one. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. This is the law of possession. Her body belongs to me. Not for abuse, but for use. I have the biblical God-given right in our union to the use of her body to meet my sexual needs. Not for abuse, but for use. Amen. And her too. Amen. So she has a biblical God-given right to the use of my body. Amen. To meet her needs. So it says in verse 4, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Why didn't know this? Well, too bad. (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) You'll marry. I don't know why you got married. I don't know what you were thinking. Amen. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Then we have this explicit instruction in verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Amen? Now, I've never met one, but I've heard Brother Hagen talk about couples they met who thought themselves too holy to have sex with their spouse. I'm too spiritual. I'm too into prayer. No, you're showing yourself unspiritual by ignoring the dictate of Scripture. Amen. Now, there is a time to abstain for a brief period. In Acts 19, we were talking about the glory last night. God said, in three days I'm coming down on this mountain and I'm going to introduce myself to the people and I'm going to speak and they're going to hear my voice in front of you and I'm going to endorse you that the fear of God concerning you as the leader might come on them forever. Yeah. And he said, when he came, the Bible says, when he came down on that mountain, that the mountain, the rock began to melt. That takes some heat. To melt mountain stone. And the mountain began to quake, and it began, the whole thing was covered in a cloud, and there were lightnings and fire and smoke. Amen. And God's voice was heard, and He told them, You got three days to prepare for this event. He said, You tell them to wash their clothes. It's a symbol of sanctification. 
He, he told him, you can only come so, so near. There's got to be a boundary. He said, even if a squirrel crosses that boundary, it'll, it'll fall dead because of the zap thing you know, that we talked about last night. And then he told them, tell them not to touch their wives. So he said, you're coming up on a holy moment, a very spiritual holy moment. So to abstain until after this event from having sex with your wife. Brief period. Right? Amen. And uh, so there are times and seasons, short, where you're really devoted and focused. Amen. But when that's done, you come back together again. Amen. So, you know, lest you get, ladies or guys, I'm too holy, I'm, I'm so holy, I'm so spiritual. No, that's you're violating the law of marriage. I do not believe in sexless marriage. Now, I had a precious couple, you know, they, they came up to me after and they were crying and because I said that and uh, he was a fireman, former fireman, got injured in a training accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. You know, it's by pastor, we're married, you know, and you know, it's, there's grace for different situations, right? I, amen. But all things being standard, amen, I, you, you can't find sexless marriage in the Bible. Okay. Amen. Now don't forget, write down your question if you want to write down your question. Yeah. Amen. But this, this is involved in this law of possession. Amen? The fourth law. The fourth law of marriage is the law of purity. The law of purity. Notice it says in verse number 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. This is before the fall. Now we know they're clothed in that aura. They're clothed in that glory. So right, the, the, the raw nakedness of their bodies was sort of veiled. Not, but not necessarily unseen. Amen? And uh, this speaks to the purity of the relationship. So what do we, and I'll talk a little bit about it, but we have the law of priority. We have the law of pursuit. We have the law of possession. And now we have the law of purity. To have a great marriage, you have to keep it pure. You have to keep it right. And what is my part in keeping it right? Well, I have to keep it right by not clicking on certain things on my phone. Or my computer. Right? I have to keep it right by not taking worldly standards and perversion into my bedroom. Amen? I have to keep it pure by keeping my mind in a right way. In a right flow. You could say it in a very broad sense, you've got to keep the sin out. Marriage, God, the way real marriage doesn't do well where there's sin. Just doesn't. Selfishness is a sin. Right? There's just all kinds of things, and it breaks down marriage. You introduce alcoholism, you introduce abuse, you introduce anger, you introduce bitterness, you introduce resentment into that relationship. It's all sin. It's all sin. It's all impure. And we're, the, our society is drowning in impurity. You know, you turn on prime time, just, just when your kids are awake, and you turn on the TV, and you got 
two, lo- two lady lawyers French kissing. And, you, you know, and it's just, you know, I understand just naturally it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to go to the mall. And, and uh, you know, I, like I said, when you go to the gym just to work out. And, and so what some of these girls wear, not only are they wearing tights, and they're not wearing anything that hangs down over their, you know, front or back. But they've got them so tight, you can see the outline. Do I have to, you can see the outline of their private parts. And you're just like, I just came here to do this. I don't need this. I don't need to go home. I just want to go to the mall and get a tie. I just, I didn't need to feel like I need to go home and take a shower. But this is the kind of world we're walking around in. And, and Satan is, is evil, he's dark, he's perverted, he's gross, and he's looking for a way. He's looking for a way. Amen? But uh, it's purity. Now, and listen, the other side of that is we as Christians, we have to, we're holy, we're right, we love Jesus, we love the Word, we're Holy Ghost. But when it comes to marriage in those intimate moments, you need to be, a, it's pure to be open open with each other in your intimate times, right? I mean, you shouldn't always come to your intimate times with three layers of flannel on, you know what I mean? Pitch black darkness, right? Because again, I know this is a bigger deal for the ladies sometimes than it is the guys, but... uh, uh, one of the things they said, they said in that Conquer series, that Sexual Purity series, is ladies, you need to let your men see. They are visual. And that if you'll let them see that those chemicals and all those bonds, he will stick to you. He will bond to you. Now listen, how would you feel if you caught him seeing? You don't want him seeing. You don't want him looking. You want him to have eyes for only you. Well, you've got to give him something to look at, sweetie. Well, I don't like the way I look. Renew your mind. Well, my mama taught me that sex is bad. Sex is unholy. Well, I'm sorry, you need to renew your mind. Mama didn't tell you right. Christian parents, you got kids coming up? Train them right about this. You teach them about the boundaries. You teach them about God's design for sex, but you don't tell them it's bad. We, we, tell, our, we tell our girls, no, 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 oh, it's a bad, no, no, it's taboo, no, no, no. And then they get married and supposed to have a honeymoon, and they're all of a sudden supposed to forget all about that. No, we, we teach them about, you know, the, here's what happens if you violate God's way but over here in this lane it is pure it's not impure it's pure it's holy hebrews tells us that the marriage bed is undefiled the marriage bed is undefiled it is to be protected and kept pure and holy but it the marriage bed in the christian home is holy it is clean it is pure (laughs) i'll tell you that because i don't I don't know what I tell you. One of the funniest things I ever heard my pastor in Oklahoma City say is he was telling married couples, he said, you have never had sex until you have had sex praying in tongues. 
praying in the Spirit. I thought, I thought, I don't know about all that. I don't know. Chasing your wife around the room, praying in the Spirit. Almost, you know, whatever. What is he trying to convey? God created this part of marriage. He created us sexual creatures. There's a right, pure, holy, wonderful expression of our sexual natures in this protected environment. And it is to be thought like that and experienced like that and protected from the contaminating, twisted elements that Satan in the world wants to come in and make it. Does that make, does that make sense? Amen. Praise God. So we'll, we'll take an early break in a moment. What are the four laws? Priority. Pursuit. Possession. Purity. Keeping it pure. Amen? Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll come back at 10.30. Is that right? Yeah. Seven or eight minutes.